Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. So today's scripture is 2 Corinthians 9 from 6 to 15, and we're using the NIV version. Um, So I'm just going to read it, and it says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have provided, approved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for your, you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Hi, my name is Archie Kenyon. Uh, if you're new to Trinity Life Church, uh, I've been a member along with my family for about five years since the first year anniversary of Trinity Life as a church in downtown Toronto. And I'm filling in for Mike this week in our series called Discover Abundance. Again, Jonathan, love that uh, bumper video. Uh, I'm talking today on generosity. And I give a few talks here and there. I work with a Christian ministry. But this is the most excited I've been about giving a talk in a long time. And I think it was because as I was preparing, I was convicted to not spend the bulk of my time preparing what to say, but preparing how to live this out. And uh, Mike, to be honest, If it wasn't so exhilarating, all this giving, uh, I might be a little upset at you for how much it's cost Cindy and I uh, to be preaching on this, but it's been awesome. So in the next half hour, I hope to do two things. I hope to open up scriptures a bit to you to see God's generosity and also share some stories with you that illustrate how that plays out in real life. So I grew up in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. Our motto when you drive into town on the sign is gateway to the north. But let's be honest, it's already the north. Um, I went to school about an hour and a half south in Saskatoon at University of Saskatchewan. And to give you an idea of how cold it can get in Saskatchewan, I remember in my third year of university, we missed the provincial record by two days. We had 16 straight days where the temperature hit negative 30 degrees Celsius. So one of my best memories of the cold uh, was the arrival of Josinaldo. 
we had a friend in our Christian group on campus, Chantel, and she had gone on a mission trip uh, the summer before to Brazil. While she was down there, she met uh, this Christian guy who worked with the local ministry named Josinaldo. They hit it off, they started to like each other, so they started a bit of a long distance relationship, kept in touch over the phone, and uh, yeah, before uh, Zoom days. And uh, so while they were keeping in touch, he decided he'd come up for a visit. So he came for a visit to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan at the end of January. That's how you know it's true love. And the day he arrived at the airport, the temperature was negative 35, not including wind chill. Me and a few friends had an idea where we were gonna, we were gonna show up at the airport in shorts and tell him it was the warm season, but uh, our legs would not have survived that practical joke. So Josinaldo adjusted, he made it, but one thing I wish we did with Josinaldo that we never did was when he arrived, took him up to one of the uh, small lakes a bit north of my hometown in Saskatchewan and went out on the ice. Uh, it would, have been, it would have been interesting to see his reaction, seeing us walk out on the ice on, the middle, uh, on this lake. Being from Saskatchewan, we would have just run out, slid as far as we could. My guess is he would have stood on the side. Uh, his hometown in Brazil has no recorded snowfall in its history. And here we are, uh, a lake frozen over. If uh, he might have you know, been tentative at first. Maybe he would have taken a step if he saw us out there. I'm the only kid from Saskatchewan who didn't like hockey, but if we played hockey, uh, maybe that would have got him a bit more confident. It wouldn't have been that surprising to see a bunch of people go across the lake in snowmobiles. Now, if say he sees all this, he decide, Josinaldo decides, I'm gonna take a step on the ice. He would probably be tentative. He'd maybe one foot on, one foot off, maybe take a couple steps, be trying to balance. But the question is, would the ice have been any less secure for Josinaldo than for us or for those people in the middle of a lake on a snowmobile? No, what matters is the thickness of the ice, not your trust in it. Here's the bottom line truth I hope sinks in today as we look at generosity. The deeper you know God's generosity, the more eager you will be to show generosity. The deeper you know God's generosity, the more eager you will be to show God's generosity. So we see this from 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15, the passage Jamie read. And there are three things I saw in this passage. First, the source of generosity. Second, the reward of generosity. And third, the reverberation of generosity. So let's look at those in turn. First, the source of generosity. We see this several places in this passage. Verse eight, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will bound in every good work. Or verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. This passage started out with explaining how reaping and sowing are in proportion. But stop and think about that for a moment. We couldn't sow in the first place if God didn't give us seed to sow. I know so often I treat my money, my possessions, my time, as if they're my own, as if I'm the owner of them. You know, I worked hard for this, I studied a lot for my degree, but I didn't have any choice of where I would be born, to be born into a middle-class family with access to education in a time of peace. I, didn't make, I don't make my own heartbeat or control my own pulse. Everything we have ultimately goes back to God. Andy Stanley wrote a book called How to Be Rich. And that sounds like a controversial title to Christian ears, but his point is not how to get rich, 
but how to be rich in a way that honors God. Knowing that most of us in North America already are far richer than almost everyone in the world, the majority of the world. Stanley makes the case that most of us are much richer than we think. We're just not good at it. Do we ever stop comparing ourselves to our neighbor or to our 55-year-old self and simply recognize all God has given us so generously? It might not always be measured in money. It might be in, in time, in friends and relationships, in youthful energy, in life experience, in being in a place with relative safety. We also see God as the source in other verses in this passage. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And verse 14, in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you. Why? Because of the surpassing grace God has given you. If the Corinthians were able to be generous, it was because God was the source of that generosity. And let's keep in mind who the Corinthians were. This wasn't some mega church full of um, middle-aged professionals in the Corinthian suburbs. Look at how Paul described the Corinthians back in chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. You can be generous no matter who you are, what situation you're in. If you're losing focus on this message, thinking it doesn't apply to me, think again. Now, especially in this time, maybe you're laid off because of COVID, and that's, that's serious, but God has still been generous to you. And maybe God wants you to be the recipient of generosity. If you need generosity, you need help, let us know as a church, and let us be generous to you. Or if you're starting to multitask while watching this sermon at home because you're a student, you don't have regular income, you know, stop that side screen of General's I.O. and focus in here because God could use your generosity just as much as the CEO, CEO who lives in the penthouse of your building. Wherever you're at, if you struggle with generosity, the key isn't just to suck it up and say, I need to be more generous, I gotta stop being greedy. The key is to look at God. Meditate on the God who whose generosity surpasses understanding. Think about the God who created us. Look into the, soak yourself in the word, seeing the God who created us in the first place when he didn't need us. The God who gave his people a promised land. The God who rescued his people from enemies over and over again. When they turned away from him, he was gracious and generous in giving them prophets to draw them back to himself. And when we didn't listen to any of those prophets, he sent his very own son to come to earth die for us. And now he's generous and he gives us his very spirit living inside of those of us who follow him. How can we not be generous when we think of a God like that? And what does his generosity lead us to? Verse 9, so you will abound in every good work. Verse 10, to enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, so that you can be generous on every occasion. When you think about it, God owes us nothing. We, he could just tell us to give back to him and we'd be duty-bound given all he's done for us to pass that generosity on to others and give back to him. But yet, it's crazy that this generous God also has set up the world to be one where we get rewarded for our generosity. So I want to look at that second. We looked at the source of generosity, now the reward of generosity. So the very first verse of this passage, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's a basic principle that God rewards generosity. 
Now, a question that I remember asking a lot is, is it bad to seek rewards? Uh, if you read Kant or other philosophers, they could say, if you seek a reward, it's no longer a moral action that you've performed. But is that biblical? So first of all, if you love the reward more than the rewarder, there's a problem there for sure. But how do we make sense of the countless times in scripture where Jesus or one of the biblical authors motivate us to live for God, motivate us to live rightly by the offer of reward, both temporal and eternal? So verse six doesn't just say, so generously and not sparingly because it's your duty. God could have said that and we'd still, uh, we st should still follow that. But there's an offer of a reward that we would reap generously. Look at Matthew 6, 19 in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God's saying to, to be generous, to not put our treasure here, because he's going to give us more. He's not saying we should just do it, but he's saying if you put all your treasures here, you're not actually working in your best self-interest. Invest in a way that you're going to have treasure that lasts forever. Our problem isn't that we seek a reward. It's that we seek a reward that's too small. We seek the approval of parents, the promotion of the boss, the jealous look of our friend when we get something new. But the reward we seek most shows what we value most. Take, for example, the Academy Awards. So if you're an actor, a director, a producer, the best reward you could get is an Academy Award, winning an Oscar. What does that show about your view of the Academy? It shows that you value their opinion more than anyone else's. It shows that their approval of you is, uh, is the, most, the thing you treasure most. So if we re seek rewards primarily from God, we show him to be of ultimate worth to us. He is the one with the most riches, the most important approval, uh, the most glorious crowns to offer us. And ultimately, the reward we seek is not just what God would give us, but God himself, that we get to know him here and spend eternity with him face to face, enjoying him forever. A great book that explores the topic of rewards, if you want to dive more into that question of is it right to seek rewards, is Future Grace by John Piper. I was going to quote directly from it, but the friend I lent it to a few years still doesn't give it back to me. I was going to be a little ticked off about that, but thanks to Mike's sermon last week, I'm okay. He can keep it. So how does God reward our generosity? You could say he rewards it eternally and temporally. I'm going to take a little different angle uh, from one of the clues in this passage. Verse 9, Paul quotes Psalm 112, verse 9. Psalm 112 as a whole shows two kinds of ways God rewards those who fear him and delight in his commands. So I would say from Psalm 112, God rewards us tangibly and intangibly. Let's look first how God blesses us tangibly. In Psalm 112, verses 2 to 5, their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their house, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. So God doesn't promise to always bless us with wealth, riches, houses, etc. But sometimes he does. A crazy example from this week. So uh, because of COVID, uh, we were 
we were gonna be in Paraguay uh, this week for a mission trip. We work with a Christian organization called Power to Change. But obviously because of COVID, that trip was canceled. We were disappointed not to be able to go on that trip. I was gonna be working with uh, an organization that does microfinance loans for women that come into the capital city of Asuncion. But one benefit, selfishly, of not going on this trip was we had raised several thousand dollars for this trip. And working with a Christian organization, because we're not going on that trip, that money can stay in our staff account. So it was this nice buffer, and I was thinking, oh, well, we could save it for next year, or it's just a buffer if we lose some other support. Uh, when I look back, I think it was uh, a kind of spiritually justified hoarding. But uh, as I heard about other staff on our, in our ministry who were short, I thought, oh, we could transfer some to them, some to them. And it was cool getting to transfer. And preparing for this sermon, I thought, oh, good, I'm, I'm being generous, we're being generous with our staff account. Uh, but then on Thursday of this week, uh, we had a call actually with the leaders of the ministry down in Paraguay. It was this Zoom call, just hearing what's going on in the ministry. And it struck me that even though we'd raised this money for a Paraguay trip, we hadn't transferred any money to actually help the ministry there in Paraguay. And so uh, I wrestled with God a bit. Well, we've already given to other things. Wouldn't mind having more of a buffer. Um, but we were excited. I was really excited to want to give towards it, hearing the work that was happening there. So the number 1,500 came to mind. And uh, so I woke Cindy up from a nap and said, uh, are you okay with us uh, giving 1500 And uh, Cindy, with far less mental reservation than I had, uh, said yes. Random tip here, if you want to live a generous life, marry a generous wife. I'm sure it's just as true for women, but I don't know what rhymes with husband. So we gave that. We were excited, sent out the transfer, uh, eager to see what God would do through it, even if we don't see it in this lifetime. But then Thursday night, about five hours later, that same evening, I get a text uh, from a fairly new friend of mine that I met in November. Let me read the text from David. David might be watching. Hey, David. It, it read, God instructed me to give an offering to you. Can you instruct me how to do that online? Now, context, this is a friend I met at a mutual friend's house in November. Uh, the last time we saw each other or even texted each other was January. Uh, I have no problem doing fundraising, as I do a lot for my ministry, but I'd never asked him for money for our ministry. He doesn't get our newsletters. There's nothing that would have prompted him. But guess how much his donation was that he made the next day? $1,500. You can't outgive God. Remember a quote here from Randy Alcorn, though. When God does bless us material, materially, he does it not to increase our standard of living, but our standard of giving. Got lots of rhyming couplets for you today. But this, doesn't, this kind of story doesn't happen every time we give. Sometimes it does feel like a sacrifice tangibly to be generous. And let's look at the second half of Psalm 112, verses 6 to 9. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure, they will have no fear. In the end, they will look on triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. The benefits here the psalmist is writing are not so much wealth and riches, but that inner peace and joy from giving. Uh, about a week ago, uh, we got our uh, financial statement in the mail for our registered education savings plan. We try to save up for the boys' education so they won't have to go in debt if they want to go uh, to college or university. And 
We noticed our uh, fund had gone down seven grand, so that's at least one year of tuition for one of the boys. And that was a statement released on March 31st, so who knows how much more money we've lost in our savings since then. But to be honest, it didn't even bother me. I might have at other points in my life, but maybe because of doing this sermon, but just knowing how generous God is, that if God wants our kids to go to university someday, he'll provide, and it's no reason to stop being generous. We haven't seen how God's going to pay that one back yet, and he may never materially, but we have a peace knowing, like verse 7, we can have no fear of bad news. Our hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Now, you don't have to be even a Christian to recognize the internal winds of giving. I saw this online, The Benefits of Generosity by Lisa Firestone, an article on HuffPost.com. It says, year after year, more and more studies are highlighting the benefits of generosity on both our physical and mental health. Not only does generosity reduce stress, support one's physical health, enhance one's sense of purpose, and naturally fight depression, it is also shown to increase one's lifespan. Now, sometimes God rewards our generosity both intangibly and tangibly. Looking back at December 2013, uh, we had recently bought our condo downtown, which was a gift of God's grace to be able to afford it. Uh, and our bathrooms were from the original um, build. They were in pretty bad shape. So we wanted to renovate one of our bathrooms. So we had saved up some money. Uh, in retrospect, it wouldn't have been quite enough to renovate a bathroom, but we were ready to renovate one. But right around when we thought we'd saved up enough, uh, we were reading one of our friends' newsletters. We have friends, um, Brad and Emily, who are church planters in Montreal. And in this letter, they talked about wanting to translate the Tim Keller book called Encounters with Jesus into French. They felt, given how so many people in Quebec have um, written off God and the Bible, they thought this book would really be a way to impact people in that culture. And the amount they were looking to raise was the exact amount that we had saved for a bathroom. And so we talked about it, went back and forth. Again, Cindy was more willing than I was, but we ended up giving that whole amount of money that we had saved for the bathroom to help with this translation. Now, the ben- we didn't see a kickback right away or anything from God, but we had this excitement as Brad and Emily would send us em- uh, updates about this uh, translation. In the end, they were able to send us a copy of the book and brought it here, Rencontre avec Jésus. I probably butchered that, but no one's here to correct me. And the joy, every time I went to, not every time, many times I went to the bathroom and noticed one of our cupboards was falling off or the tiles looked really dirty. Uh, What used to bug me now excited me, thinking that how much better than tiles would it be for someone in Quebec, even one person, to discover Jesus and see him in a new light. It was an internal, um, intangible benefit. But then the following summer, God followed through with tangible as well. my grandmother had passed away a couple of years earlier, and my grandfather didn't have a good job, that great a job. He just worked faithfully over the years. My grandma was 90, had lived in a long-term care home uh, for quite a while, so I figured they had uh, no money left. But uh, got a check from my uncle in the mail, uh, working out her estate, and it was eight times the amount we had uh, saved up initially for that bathroom and given away. So then that next year, we were able to renovate both our bathrooms. And we had a friend that was in between jobs just at the right time to be able to renovate it for us at a way lower price than we could have if we had tried earlier. God can reward us tangibly, intangibly, or both. Just the thing is, we can't predict or control how God's going to reward us. It's not up to us. 
It's like a farmer planting seed. You don't know in any given year if it's going to be a good year with the right amount of rain and sun, or if it's going to be a famine, a flood. You just have to trust God and plant those seeds. And that's our job when it comes to generosity. It's up to God how he will bless us. So it's a general principle that God will sometimes bless us materially when we, when we give, but it's a solid promise that he'll bless us in fruit of his spirit and in eternal rewards. So third and last, the reverberation of generosity. We've seen the source of generosity, the reward of generosity. Now let's look at the ripple effect. What can happen from generosity? Another beautiful thing in this passage is that the generosity Paul is calling out in the Corinthians didn't just impact those suffering in Jerusalem that he was imploring them to give towards. And it didn't just affect them in them being rewarded for their generosity. Look at verses 12 to 13. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. With our bathroom example, one of the cool effects was that the church planner we gave that uh, donation to, he wrote us back and said it really convicted him that he had never thought about giving uh, a large amount being in ministry himself. And so him and his wife thought about what were they passionate about. And they were really passionate about helping the persecuted church, those who follow Jesus in countries where they lose their jobs, they, um, they risk their lives for. So they made the biggest donation they had ever made to Voice of the Martyrs to help those uh, churches. And then he shared that story of his giving and our giving with another pastor who thought about giving more for the first time. Now, another example of a reverberation of giving that's pretty amazing. So Greg and his wife, Joanne, who I believe are on this call, they were earlier, are two of the most generous people I, uh, Cindy and I know. Uh, Greg was my supervisor for about 10 years, and Greg and Joanne were always the first to give when someone on our staff was in need. Uh, they're so passionate about giving to reach unreached people groups, parts of the world that have never heard the gospel. And so we learned a lot from their generosity. And recently, or a few years ago, Greg moved into an actual fundraising role. One of the things that sticks out to me about Greg is that he cares more about the kingdom than just our ministry. If he meets someone who's a major donor, who has a heart for children's ministry, he'll connect them with Compassion Canada. It doesn't matter who they're giving to, he just wants more people to give to the world. And one of the things he's been able to do is challenge a lot of business leaders with a lot of funds to give more radically in God's kingdom and to all kinds of work that God does. So I want to actually read one amazing example from Greg's book called What Are You Trusting God For? A little shout out for your book, Greg. I'd recommend it. So let me read. Father, I pray that my friend Gary would give $100 million to Kingdom Priorities. I wrote that request in my prayer journal in the fall of 2016. Gary, not his real name, and I had been friends for about three years at that point, and we had recently shared some great conversations about a vision to impact the world. Gary had seen tremendous success in business and had given some large gifts to educational institutions and a few other worthy causes. I knew he desired to be used by God to have an impact for the kingdom, so I decided to be begin praying that over his lifetime, Gary would invest a large amount of his resources in advancing God's work around the world. I wasn't sure if or how God would answer that prayer, but I was going to begin praying and see how God would move. One day as we met, I told him, Gary, I want to make clear to you that I'm not asking for this money right now, but I see lots of multi-million dollar gifts going towards things like hospitals, universities, building projects. Those are all worthy investments. However, I have rarely, if ever, seen a multi-million dollar gift 
for evangelism and discipleship. So if you're willing, I'd like to brainstorm with you about what it might, like to ask, might be like to ask someone for, say, $5 million towards telling others about Jesus. Gary sat up enthusiastically. I really like this idea. What if? And so began our conversation. A few weeks later, we met again, so I circled back to the discussion. Gary, do you remember that discussion about the hypothetical $5 million gift for evangelism? Yes, I really like that, he replied. Let's continue to talk about it, but let's say it's $10 million. Why not, I laughed. It was still hypothetical anyways. A few weeks after that, Gary and I were having another lunch together. That's when he dropped the bomb. I really like this idea, he said, and the timing is right for me to take some money out of my business, so I'd like to start a foundation focused on evangelism in the least-reached parts of the world, and I'm going to start it with $40 million. I calmly nodded my head, encouraged him for his incredible generosity, and then excused myself to go to the bathroom, where I completely freaked out. Several months later, as Gary and I were working, worked on setting up the foundation, he dropped another bomb. My family said they want to pull some more money out of the business for various reasons, so I'm going to be adding an additional $60 million to the foundation for a total of $100 million. This time I just laughed. God had answered my prayer in less than a year. God's generosity to Greg has reverberated to business people like Gary. And maybe you'll never see a $100 million ripple effect from your generosity, but what if the 100 or so of us watching this were more generous and let God's generosity through us be more contagious than a virus? Now, Pepito, who some of you may know, is a good friend of ours who only started following Jesus at the end of January. Hey, Pepito, if you're on the, on the call, on the service. In our body life group, he met Jeffrey and Eric. And Pepito found out that Jeffrey and Eric, uh, because of some significant health issues, were finding it quite difficult to get out uh, during this uh, quarantine time. So he decided he'd make them a meal. And if you've never had one of Pepito's meals, you haven't really experienced the breadth and depth of God's rewards. Uh, and the thing, uh, so the thing about Pepito too, is he's in a bit of a rough place himself uh, financially. He just got a new place. He supports his kids, um, and he's in school trying to finish off uh, a program, so he's not working right now. But he still wanted to bless others. And his generosity resulted in Jeffrey and Eric praising God, and also imploring him to open a restaurant when uh, coronavirus is done. The beautiful thing with these two examples, Gary with $100 million, Pepito with a meal, is that with God, the ripple effect could be just as big for one meal we give as $100 million in a foundation. God's not limited, and he'll use that little bit. Like, he multiplied the bread and fish of the boy to feed 5,000. He can use our smallest gifts given out of a generous heart for his kingdom. Now, if my friends and I were able to take Josinaldo uh, to that northern Saskatchewan lake that January, I'm sure he would have hesitated going out on the ice. But the more he would have seen others out on the ice, the more comfortable he would have become. And probably at the end of a couple hours, he would have been more concerned about getting a hot chocolate than getting off the ice. So seeing others trust God with their finances and with their time and talents can help us do the same. And others seeing you give will have a ripple effect on them as well. But it all comes down to our trust in the foundation that is under us. And it's better than ice. We are standing on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Gary could give $100 million because he had years of seeing God's generosity to him. Pepito could sacrifice some of his own limited resources because he had newly come to discover the joy we have in Christ. 
They're both standing on that same rock. Now let's see how our passage ends. It's with quite the exclamation point. Thanks be to God, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. In that last line, I originally interpreted that as Paul um, thanking God for what the Corinthians were giving. But I don't think so. I think he's going back to the source of generosity. All this talk about being generous has filled Paul's mind with how generous God is in his gift of Jesus Christ. The gospel, this indescribable, indescribable reality, so indescribable, I can't even say the word indescribable, that God would send his own son, Jesus Christ, to come live among us, die for us, and then rise from the dead, giving us eternal life that we didn't deserve. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not, along with him, also give us all things? If God would do that for us, he'll give us everything we need, and sometimes even what we want. The deeper you know God's generosity, the more eager you will be to show generosity. So what is your response? Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, verse 7, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And when you think of the source of generosity, God himself and all he's done for us, the reward of generosity that God actually gives back to us, the reverberation of generosity that we can have a ripple effect. How could we not be cheerful? How could we not give with a smile on our face? So this week, take time to meditate on God's generosity for you and take one cheerful step towards showing generosity to someone or some cause that God's put on your heart. Let's pray. Lord, when we take communion in a few moments from now, help us to remember your indescribable gift to us. Father, you have given us an indescribable gift in sending Jesus to us. Jesus, you've given us an indescribable gift when you sacrificed your own life on the cross. And Spirit, you continually give us an indescribable gift of living within us so that we can better discover the deposit of all the generosity that is promised to us. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.